days later when my father told me that he sent this family friend to check on me because I was talking like a child, like in a little girl's voice. Oh my God. And that I was saying, I don't have a friend. You know, I have nobody to talk to. I have nobody to turn to. I don't have any friends. I don't have a real friend, like, like in a kid's voice. And I swear, I do not remember saying any of those things. It's like it wasn't me. He said, you, you didn't sound like yourself. And I was very worried. What if you moved into a place that was a scene of a crime? For our friend Angela on today's episode, that's what happened to her. But with her experience, it takes a different turn. It's been said that when something traumatic and horrible happens in one area, it can leave an imprint that can eventually manifest into something. But in Angela's case, it does more than just that. It seems that whatever was left behind is trying to channel through her. Angela's story was originally supposed to be for a listener's tale, but come to find out, her story is an unexplainable aftermath of a crime that happened in Woodland Hills in 1993, when the body of eight-year-old Nicole Parker was found in a suitcase inside a neighbor's closet. Human Ashkan Pana was the man responsible for Erica's death. However, we fast forward decades later where new DNA evidence proves otherwise. Is it possible that something that was left behind from that horrendous crime scene is trying to communicate with Angela? What really happened to Nicole Parker on November the 21st of 1993? Could it be possible that Human Ashkan Pana was an accessory to her murder? And who is Adna Shahun? The 1990s in Los Angeles was considered to be both heaven and hell. The LA riots, the Northridge earthquake, the AIDS crisis, and even Proposition 187. So join us as we travel back in time to 1993, and the setting is Los Angeles in the suburban area of Woodland Hills. As we take a deeper dive into the courts and the media, this is the true crime of Fuman Ashkan Pana and the murder of Nicole Parker and the paranormal aftermath of Angela. Let's get Holly Weird in the Topanga Canyons. The episode and interview you're about to listen to was recorded via Skype during the COVID-19 stay-at-home order. So please pardon any in and out sounds, muffs, or any glitches that you might hear during this recording. Also, the following episode contains violent and graphic content. Listener discretion advised. Now, let's get Holly weird. Hey boo, hey guys. It's Holly Weird Paranormal and we're still in quarantine. We're doing it. We are doing it. We're still doing this. We're trying to do this as best as possible. While we, uh, you know, are enjoying Mother's Day with our pets, for all yeah. those out there, if you're listening to this Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, happy belated Mother's Day. If you're mm. a fur mama, if you're a drag mama, if you're a ghost mama, witch mama, or a mama, mm. yeah, witch mama. You know, I, I wish Zachariah the witch a happy Mother's Day. Yes, if anyone deserves it. 
it's it's that brand which it's okay. that home girl and to all the mothers out there we wish you guys a happy belated mother's day because we are recording yeah, on sunday and we'll most likely have this posted on monday so we have a very juicy but great episode for you today uh, as a little mm. preface originally this episode was supposed to be for our patreon page but story that you're going to hear from a friend mm. of mine is in relation to or possible relation to a crime that happened in Woodland Hills back in 93. So you'll hear Angela's story later as the paranormal aftermath of the 1993 murder case of Nicole Parker. And I tell you, when Bryce and I were researching this case, it mm. was like we were going through several rabbit holes because it sounded at first, Bryce, like it was an open and shut case, right? That's exactly what I was going to say, too, is like it started out and I was like, well, this seems like a tragic but pretty straightforward kind of like case of like kidnapping and murder. Mm -hmm. But then there's like so many little things that like in the back of my mind, I was just like, well, that's weird. Like, why? I don't know. I think I just think like whether it was just like through slipping through the cracks or through happenstance or whatever, there's just like a couple little things that like kind of our little red flags of like, why did that not happen? Why didn't they follow what would seem like common sense to me? And here's the thing, mm -hmm. full disclosure, I know yes. nothing about the legal process. So like before, let me just head everyone off at the pass before they start <laughs> click-clacking on their little keyboards with their long nails. I can hear them <laughs> click-clacking now. Let me be the first to say, like, I, my knowledge of the legal system is straight up from, like, procedurals, Netflix specials, and things that I make up in arguments later in my mind. I am fully admitting that, like, my knowledge of the justice system is based on television. So, if anyone is like, oh, as someone who has more experience, this is why they didn't do that. Please let us know. Let us know. Head this off at the pass now. I am we not a paralegal. Appreciate constructive criticism, but you know, we, I mean, we even got a couple, I think one or two reviews. I'll never forget this from our Kevin Green and the Ryan family murder case. Like someone mm. wrote on one of our sites, one of the, I guess the streaming sites for podcasts, like, how dare you think that this man is innocent? How dare you? You guys should be ashamed yeah. of yourselves. Look, we entered a lot of these true crime cases and stories with a scientific bias. We don't put any of our personal or emotional biases involved in this. Going through the route of the paranormal, like you have to approach it scientifically and that's something yep. that I've learned and that goes for true crime as well. I wanna see DNA, pathology reports, you know. I <laughs> learned anything from Legally Blonde, it's that you cannot <laughs> assume that anyone is guilty until they are proven guilty in a court of law. And that with mens rea, there can be no crime without intent to commit. So here we are. Get it, L. Woods. <laughs> we are two L. Woods here trying to do a podcast, guys. So bear with us here. But I can tell you from that movie, um, I did learn something very important. You drop. Then yeah. yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, L. Woods and Jennifer Coolidge, of course. In order to begin, guys, we need to go all the way back to the 90s in Ooh. Los Angeles. Woohoo! So here's a little tidbit about what was going on back in 93. Jay Leno takes over as host of The Tonight Show and jaywalking segment begins. 
The Museum of Tolerance opens in West LA and focuses on Nazi Holocaust. It also examines general issues of tolerance and racism. South Central LA business owners were just recuperating from the LA riots. Mm. And federal jury convicted police officers Lawrence Powell, Theodore Brzezino, and Timothy Wind for violating Rodney King's rights by their unreasonable use of force under the color of law. Meaning, mm. you look up the Rodney King beatings. Salt yeah. and Pepper, Naughty by Nature, Nirvana, Tony Braxton, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey, Tupac Shakur, and Cypress Hill were dominating the airwaves. Sleepless in Seattle and Jurassic Park were the box office hits. Bill Clinton was the President of the United States. And February 26th of 1993, a truck bomb detonated below the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. Not necessarily connected to LA, but this definitely shook the US. Yeah. The Menendez brothers' first trial also started in 93 and was being aired on television, which took a lot of attention from the case that we're going to present to you guys right now. So yeah, these were just some of the things that were just circulating and going on in 93, 94 in LA and the US, of course. So Bryce is gonna take it away with what happened mm. to little Nicole Parker of Woodland Hills. Well, and one of the things I wanted to touch on, you just mentioned that phrase, like took attention away from this case. I think mm -hmm. more so than ever, the like 80s and 90s, really the 90s, especially, we saw so many of these like highly publicized, like celebrity OJ type trials. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the media starts to play a part in the justice process in a way that like it always has, right? Like reporting on trial is not a new thing mm -hmm. and yet the way that it was covered in the 90s it was so integral into our like daily fabric of society like obviously like the oj trial is a little bit later than this i'm not referring to that specifically no but, but it, def it definitely does this trial um uh kind of does get swept to the side unfortunately mm -hmm. because you know, Nicole Parker as a child is not going to pull the same news coverage necessarily as like a national scandal or things like that. So it's this very interesting time that now we like live in a postmodern era of like news journalism, sensationalizing yeah. trials and like public opinion becoming synonymous with like due process it's very intense i always like there's so many examples like elena bobbitt i think is such a good example where it's like there were such polarizing opinions on like what did or didn't happen that by the time they actually got to trial that how do you even find an impartial jury like yeah and then the flip side of that double-edged sword is that then like how does this little girl that we're going to talk about today get like her literal day in court and like the due justice that she deserved as a human when like the police and investigative and legal efforts are being diverted to other places. Sorry, tiny little felt box. Oh, absolutely. You know, and not only that is uh, how it was handled beforehand, before, during, and after the trial. 
So mm -hmm. we'll definitely touch a lot of notes, guys. And just as a forewarning, we are approaching this from a scientific bias, not from a personal or emotional bias, okay? Mm -hmm. So what we're gonna present are actual documents that are still to this day being filed and currently mm -hmm. being pursued in the Court of Appeal of California. And there's a lot of things that came to light in regards to this case, because what you're gonna hear what Bryce is going to present to you is what was presented just to the court and just to the jury. And the jury is also another thing that comes into play with this case. So uh, I guess take it away, Bryce. The case uh, in 1993, they basically found the body of an eight-year-old girl in a Woodland Hills apartment. And they had actually been searching for Nicole Parker um, for weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. So... She's found uh, in November of 93, but they had actually been, the community had been searching for her, had been passing out flyers. Um, I believe I read somewhere that like some 10,000 volunteers had been canvassing the area um, looking for her body. So her body was found uh, in November of 93, and it was found, as many times is the case, in an apartment building in the same complex where she went missing. So she was with her father uh, at the time her parents had joint custody. And so she was currently visiting her father in his apartment. And that same apartment complex is where they found her body in the apartment of Human. Ooh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Asuka Kapana. Yes. So it's a Human Ashkan Pana. We can refer to Pana. Pana. So Pana, Ashkan for short. Pana. Sorry for my amazing pronunciation. Um, and so they, he's then arrested, obviously, on suspicion of murder because of her body being found. Um, and he was a neighbor, a known neighbor to her father, obviously, in a small apartment complex. Those of you who live in them, if you don't know all of your neighbors, you certainly could recognize them. So right. it's not like he's an unknown entity. Um, initially, he was actually arrested on suspicion of kidnapping. So they actually suspected him a bit earlier. And it wasn't until they got the warrant to search his apartment and found her body that he was officially booked on initially just the murder charge, which then later morphed into several other horrifying charges. Um, which we'll get to. So he was arrested, and um, as they were entering his home, apparently he had tried to kill himself as well. So they found him uh, in the midst of a suicide attempt. He had attempted to slash his own wrists and overdose on some kind of pill. I don't actually. Do you remember what kind of pills? Not that it really matters, I guess. But there are sleeping pills. Sleeping pills, okay. Mm -hmm. So he had tried to overdose and had tried to cut his wrists when he kind of, in my opinion, saw the noose tightening. Mm -hmm. um, he basically then was uh, immediately booked and put on high watch as a suicide risk. And they charged him based on his alleged involvement in the abduction. Um, trying to think. So then the thing that's, like, think so sad like, as her father, 
because she was last seen playing in like the courtyard of the apartment complex. Yeah, she was throwing a a softball against the wall. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting. Like, if you look back on like the history of our obsession as a nation with true crime, Mm -hmm. something that's so funny is the the way that the like 70s, 80s, and 90s were such a fertile breeding ground for serial type crime and killing and even kidnapping any kind of crime my parents didn't know where I was 99% of the time like I would come home for dinner and we lived in like the deep country and my friend who lived like a mile down the street I would like bike to his house Mm -hmm. he would get on his bike and then we would go bike through like cornfields and up the river and down to the dam and like all over like backwoods Delaware County Ohio wow that would literally never happen now. <laughs> yeah. Never. And in some ways it's good because, like, these types of situations now are a little bit more difficult. You don't just have children fending for themselves on the streets of Los Angeles. But she mm-hmm. was, like, in an enclosed apartment complex, and her dad was in the building's laundry room and was like aware of her presence it's not like he was in the apartment building and didn't know where she was he is like on record as saying like i stopped hearing the ball and called out to her and i never heard back so like it's not like he was gone for hours on end this is a matter of minutes maybe where he was going back and forth between his apartment and the laundry room and and he was still kind of keeping an eye on her right and just doing his laundry, you know, just trying to get things done, you know, just trying to be a dad. So Yeah, it just uh, it just makes me so sad. And again, like, this is like a mid-sized apartment complex. Like, I think I read somewhere that it had like several hundred units in it. So again, like, not that it's, because I used to live, you remember where I lived, like, over. Oh, yeah. And it was like a pretty mid-sized, like, bigger than like the number of units that are in your building. But not yeah. like these high-rise thousands. Like, it was a couple hundred um, yeah, so things. according to the report, it was called, at the time, this is called mm. the Viewpoint Apartments, and they were still upscale apartments, and they had a total of 700 units. So, so like, that's, that's fairly big, but if you really yeah. think about it, if you've lived there for even like a year or two, there, mm-hmm. there were people in my building, I think there was like three to 400 units in our building, mm-hmm. and there were people that I didn't know their names, but that I saw on like a week to bi-weekly basis. Like you still right. kind of like, oh, I think that person lives here. I've seen them kind of around. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not like, I don't know. It just kind of like breaks my heart that this whole time she's in like a safe seeming space and then like the devil's inside the wall. Like, ugh, right. I hate it. Bad people are the worst. <laughs> um. <laughs> So basically, this kind of concludes um, the weeks-long manhunt, child hunt, whatever you want to call it, that had been going on. Um, and they basically then close his apartment off and are looking for evidence. The community involvement—they had circulated like thousands of flyers, and there was a reward on her head. And um, Bo Bridges weirdly gets involved. Yes. His- the so, father and he, like, are little league coaches together. Exactly. So then he kind of makes this, like, very impassioned plea to, like, bring her home. And, like, he kind of uses his, like, status at the time 
to help the processes in like the platform that he has and i have like kind of a weird i guess it's like a morbid respect because in a way it's almost like aggrandizing like ugh, this like random celebrity is like getting involved but at the same time like he's still a person and he has a platform and like i respect that he's i don't know i just always hate when people are like just celebrities need to like shut up and take their award and like get off the stage and mm-hmm. i don't know i i disagree with that i think like they have this weird platform that like such a small percentage of humans have and he was just doing like what he could do to contribute like he had a gift in his platform that like maybe his other people that were looking for her didn't so right. it's like this weird little like uh addendum of like oh yeah and uh by the way Bo Bridges like knew about this case and tried to help find her <laughs> only in LA <laughs> oh, girl I know that's right only in LA it's all about who you know and yeah. the father knew Bo Bridges so there you have it love it mm-hmm. so Bo Bridges gets involved and what happens after they approach I guess Panah's apartment because I know that they question a lot of the neighbors and they also are and really the brother too, which makes me so sad and Rest- the mother yeah. I think the brother was like, what, nine at the time? Yeah, the brother was nine. Uh, Chad. Chad was nine. It's just so sad to be like, okay, now you have to answer these questions about, like, your sister's disappearance and, like, to try and process that as a child. Right. Or as any family member, of course, is very sad. But, I don't know, it just, like, breaks my little heart. They're looking for this girl. And... There is literally a 10-hour manhunt or 10-hour search before they finally find the body of Nicole Parker. Right. So according, this is just according to the People versus Panah, the Stanford Law Library. So these are the documents or, or the dockets that they had collected um, in terms of the report from the LAPD and also from the neighbors. So this is just a little timeline, guys, mm. what they came up with. So... Around 10, 1030, Nicole and her brother dropped off. They're dropped off at their father's apartment. Around 11 a.m., Nicole is seen by the father, other neighbors. She's throwing the softball against the wall. Father's going back between the apartment and the laundry room. Uh, Pana's mother, Manfred, comes out around 11, 11, 15. And a gentleman by the name of Adman Shehoun, who is a guest staying at Panaz and his mother's apartment. Here's the thing that they really, for some reason, didn't present in the court. Adnan Shahoon was the last man that was seen talking to Nicole just moments before the father heard the stop of the ball banging against the, the right. wall. So according to Shahoon, she asked him if he lived in the apartment and if he was the father of the boy with the long hair, which is Pana. He told her that he was a family friend and Nicole started stared at him and then ran across the courtyard into her father's apartment. So Shahoon goes back into Pana's apartment. He yells out um, something to him in Farsi and then locks the door. Mm. At this time, here's a highlight, guys. Pana is a 22-year-old. He goes to college. He works at Mervyn's. He's asleep because he doesn't have to go to work until 3 p.m. Just keep that in mind as well. So sometime after 11, the father still notices Nicole throwing the ball against the wall mm-hmm. back and forth. About 11.45 a.m., he comes out, calls to her. She does not respond. He calls out again five minutes later, no response. By 12.30, he, 
he makes the report and notifies LAPD that Nicole is missing. So uh, Mrs. Parker, Mrs. Parker comes to the apartment and they start knocking on doors with the dad. So according to reports, the father knocks on the apartment. Pana answers the door. Pana is also, this is a keynote in his pajamas. He looks like he just woken up. <laughs> Keep that in mind. But true though. He asks him, hey, have you seen Nicole? Uh, she's missing. And of course, Pana, just as a preface, knows Nicole, has noticed her the weekends that she's there. He knows mm -hmm. of her. So he's like, oh, no, I don't know what happened. He gets really involved. That kind of freaks Parker out. Parker's like, okay, all right, you know, just, uh, you know, you don't have to help me. Just just keep an eye out if you do see her, okay? Right. So he brushes him off. By 115, LAPD officers uh, Roger Mojet and Melvin Patton are on on the scene. They set up a command post. Um, they start the search of the apartment complex. Now, here's where it gets very thick and very heavy, guys. 3 p.m., Pana is said to have started his shift. He doesn't get there till 3.15 to the Mervyn's department store. And for those who are, were born in the 80s and 90s, Mervyn's used to be this department store. So it's like, it's like a Kohl's. Just think of it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah, they used to sell a lot of bongo and polo. So those kind of things. Uh, around 5.30, Pana is missing from work. His boss, Mr. Cousins, is trying to find him and can't get a hold of him. He's calling his number, he's paging him because yes, pagers were a thing back in the 90s, guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, the officers are coordinating a search by this time in Pana's apartment. For some reason, they're coordinating the search. So by 5.45, Pana's boss finally gets a call from Pana and Pana is telling him that he's not coming back to work for good. Tell everyone at Mervyn's, my coworkers, that I love them and I will miss them. So something Damn. strange is going on. So Pana like, contacts a friend of his, Rowney Campbell, and he tells her, I need your help. I've done something very bad. And he asked her to call his mother and his friends to tell him goodbye because he would not be seeing them. So she asked him what he had done, and he would tell her only that it's so big she would find out about it later. All right, so that's after 5.45. We hit 8 to 9 p.m. Adnan Shahoon is called to Pana's apartment and learns from the mom that the police are looking for a missing girl. He goes to uh, her apartment and tells the police about his earlier encounter with Nicole. So Shahoon goes to the police and tells them, oh, yeah, I was I was talking to Nicole. Hmm. So around 9 a.m., this is the next day, Pana's friend uh, is awakened by Pana knocking on her window. His wrists are completely slashed, and there are, there's dry blood all over his clothes from the day before and his wrists. So she lets him into her apartment. And he wanted her to buy him a bunch of sleeping pills. He wants to end his life. He says that um, he's been having hallucinations, that he's been seeing these men in cloaks telling him that he needs to kill himself. And so by that time, the neighbor is like, this is looking very, very odd. Right. So she just goes straight to the point. She's like, 
do you have something to do with the little girl that is missing in this apartment? He goes, yes. Damn. And when she asks him if the little girl was still alive, Pana says, no. Now keep this in mind here. I want you guys to also highlight this. She asks him, do you know if she is not alive or are you assuming that because of what you have done that is so bad, she is not alive? This is word from word from the LABD report. This is Pana's answer. She is not alive. Let's highlight that. Jesus Christ. He knows that she's not alive. But here's the thing that, that I kept on going to this remark, that he didn't answer her by saying, um, what I have done to her is bad and she's not alive. So then she freaks out the neighbor. Then the neighbor notifies LAPD. LAPD at 10 a.m. starts to search Pana's apartment and his BMW. They do find bloodstained knives and bloodstains in the interior of the car that do belong to Pana. They also notice that there's no trace of a body in his trunk. Let's just put a pin in that too. So eventually, the police officers and LAPD, they're going in and out of the apartment four times. Count that. One, two, three, four. They finally get a search warrant. By the fifth time, they go into her apartment. Mind you, the first four times when they went in there with a canine unit, mind you, they did not find anything. For some reason, by the fifth time, they find a suitcase with the body of Nicole Parker in the suitcase in Pana's closet. But here's where it gets even more fucked up. They take out the suitcase, they take out Nicole's body, and they dump the body on Pana's bed. So already the entire crime scene is ruined. completely ruined. But here's another thing that they find interesting in Pana's bedroom. There's a video camera on a, on a, on a tripod that's set on his dresser. Because here's a little backstory of Pana. He's 22 years old. He has a girlfriend. He has a pretty young thing that he's dating and screwing. He has a very active sex life. He's into kinky sex. And, of course, he's going to record everything. Jesus Christ. All right. But for some reason, they don't take the video camera and the cassette in the video camera or anything that belongs to the camera into, uh, into a search. They just totally ignore that for some reason, but they find the body, they contaminate the body, they dump the body on the bed. So they take the body, the suitcase, the bed Which sheet. so crazy to me for, uh, obviously, <laughs> for reasons, but like yeah. there's protocol when there's suspected sexual misconduct with a minor. Like there are yeah. things they automatically search like possession of child porn and intent to distribute and like sexual battery like there's these things that like are automatic assumptions when like a minor is involved like oh great like then we need to check these things immediately like hard drive all of it and all of it yeah like oh he has a video camera and film no we're just not gonna take that like what like you have to. You have to. You you do. But it's just very odd that they don't take a lot of things and into, you know, into their research. It, it, it causes a lot of question. But all fingers are pointing to Pana because while they're questioning Pana, Pana said that, you know, I rather carry the girl's bones with me for good. Jeez. So 
But you have to understand too, when they were questioning Panah, they didn't wait until his, whatever stimulants he had in his system cleared. They were questioning him while he was, and I quote, that he was going through a temporary acute psychosis that mm. was brought on by the stimulants in his system. And when you go through an acute temporary psychosis, according to my research, it is stimulated from LSD, from other drugs that you put into your system. So, of course, he's going to hallucinate and say things that he's not, he, he, he has no control of saying. So he is brought into custody. He is automatically tried and he is sentenced to death. Okay. So you think, guys, it is an open and shut case. He did it. Obviously, he did it. He knew something happened to the girl. He most likely did something to the girl. All fingers point at Panna. Right. But here are some of the things that really struck a chord with me when I go onto the Free Human Panna website. Why is his appeal being approved in the Supreme California court? Right. How come the DNA that was tested wasn't brought to court the court's attention? How come the jury consisted of people from Nicole Parker's community? You had the preacher from her church. You had people from her softball team. And you also had people from her the community church. So you had people that were coming in with their emotions. Of course, all fingers are going to point to this man. He did it. The body was in the closet. That's it. But here's cool. the things, guys. Science points to other questions. How come that when they took the DNA, it wasn't presented to court? And in 2011, in an appeal, the DNA was tested. Pana's DNA was a type B. Nicole's Parker's DNA is type A. What they found on the scene was a type AB. Pana's DNA was not found anywhere on Nicole's body. Fingerprints were not taken of Nicole's body. Mm -hmm. The bed sheets obviously had Pana's DNA and fingerprints because the night before Pana went out, he partied, he had mm. sex with his girlfriend. It was all over. They found secretion. They found semen that belonged to him, but nothing that belonged to Nicole. Mm. How come Adnan Shehun, who was the last person seen talking to Nicole was not a person of interest and how come his DNA was not collected? Right. Let's just put that out there and think about it, too. This is 1993. Al-Qaeda tried to bomb the World Trade Center in 1993. Panah is an Iranian man. He's an immigrant being tried for the death of a of a Caucasian eight year old child. Mm. It does not look good for him. It right. really doesn't. He is the first Iranian man on death row in San Quentin. So there are a lot of things that for some reason back in 1993 through 1995 that were not presented in a, his court case. And just as a forewarning, this is from the forensic analytical DNA report right. that was presented in 2015 by Mr. Joseph Trilio, who is the attorney to Mr. Pana, that the first doctor, the first scientist, the first person that was supposed to handle the DNA evidence lies in trial mm. saying that the DNA that was presented to him, mind you that none of this paperwork was presented to the judge or anyone else all pointed to Panah. But then back in 2015, it shows otherwise that it wasn't pointed to Panah. So for some of you guys that are saying, no, he did it. I'm not saying he didn't. 
I'm not saying that he did. I'm just saying what science is pointing out to this poor man right now. Yeah. That he well, wasn't tried like, fairly. It, I think it's like that situation where it's like, okay, but like, does anyone ever act completely independently? Like you can be involved and not be guilty of everything that you're being charged for. Mm -hmm. Um, or you can be involved in different ways than like what the, it's just such a murky thing where like he clearly knew so much to just, it's not like he was completely innocent where it's like, he didn't know what was happening and he's being framed, but it does sort of seem suspicious that these other things don't necessarily match up. And again, that's not like me trying to say he's innocent. I just think like you Mm -hmm. can be guilty of some things and be charged for a lot of things so that like all of it will end up sticking. According to his federal public defender document here, I'm just going to read this guys through his Hibias uh, proceeding. Mr. Pana has demonstrated that the conclusion der- derived from the pathology and serological evidence supporting Mr. Pana's conviction were false. Instead, the DNA and pathology evidence demonstrate that Mr. Pana is innocent of his crimes for which he was convicted. The DNA results disprove the prosecution. Yeah. The prosecution's mixture of fluids theory, because there was this theory that was floating around that the reason why they got, <laughs> it was an AB was because it was a mixture of fluid because Pana was B and Nicole Parker was a, which was, completely false. Prior to the trial, the, um, the prosecution should have known that the DNA evidence contradicted the serology evidence presented at trial. There's a reason why this is still circulating to this day. Right. There's a reason why they're still looking into his case. I mean, we're open to anyone else's opinions about this case as well. But in reality, the courts and the medias are always under great pressure to turn a deaf ear to the facts in the face of the fury of vengeance, of course. And a case involving the murder of a child could easily, I mean, it could blur the line between the pursuit of justice and exacting, mm-hmm. exacting a vengeance, particularly when the task is to put to an all too imperfect or even corrupted system. Yeah. I mean, the idea that Lady Justice is blind, but she certainly can be, like, manipulated. I mean, his conviction sounds like an open and shut case. This is something we mentioned before. After all, the body was found in his apartment. But if you're willing to open your mind to some new facts that were presented many years later that were not presented at the time of this trial, you may begin to question where the line has been drawn in the case. So he is still serving his death sentence in San Quentin to this very day. If you go online, you can see what he looks like. His hair is longer. He's older. He is still awaiting, you know, a fair trial. They are still circulating his case throughout the Supreme Court. It has been approved, meaning that the evidence that his lawyer has presented the court has been taken into question. It, it's definitely being looked at for a yeah. reason. Um, another thing too to bring into light, I think this is something too I forgot to bring up is his background. Um, mm. Just as a little forewarning, this is another thing too that kind of like tripped me out, wondering why he was set off the way he did because of the body, because he was involved somehow. And this mm-hmm. is my opinion. This is something I should have brought up earlier, but I just saw this on my notes. Okay, so 
Panah was born in Iran. He was brought up in a very abusive and very strict household. Between the ages of eight and 10 years old, he was sexually abused by his grandfather and by his cousin. When he tried to tell his parents of the mistreatment of the sexual misconduct, his mother and father called him fag and farsi and called him fag for many years. Mm. So he not only endured sexual, but he also endured physical and mental abuse. So, his mother was another issue. Manfred is a is a is a weird is a weird one right there. Manfred also has mental issues, in my opinion, because she would always threaten to kill herself to her son if he did something wrong, which oh, is really God. unusual. So she would beat him, mentally abuse him. Uh, when he was in his teens, the mother and him escape Iran for political reasons. They escape Iran. They move to Germany. They moved to Germany. Panal loves Germany. He feels safe in Germany. He feels normal. He feels accepted. And he finds this beautiful German girl. They be, they go out. They have a great flourishing relationship. The mother finds out and threatens to kill herself again if he doesn't dump her. So he dumps her. They travel to the U.S. They go to New York and they finally end up in L.A., Panah ends up going to school. He goes to a community college. He ends up working part-time at Mervyn's. And he also has a relationship, a sexually active relationship with this girl who also has a daughter who is close to the age, the same age as Nicole Parker. Um, when asked if Panah had done anything unusual around her daughter, the woman said, no, he never did anything that would lead me to believe that he would do something to a child. Yeah. So those are things to kind of like come into play. Did he see something happen to Nicole that triggered something in his mind? Right. Is the question. Did he see Mr. Shehoon do something to Nicole or saw or came across her body that really caused him to snap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like with these types of cases, unless someone's willing to like admit their guilt and be like, oh, you know what? I actually did this. Mm-hmm. We might never really have that full answer. Yeah, we will never know. You know, hopefully, you know, soon or one day we'll figure out who was behind her murder and her hor- the horrific acts that were presented to her. Because, I mean, she was not only murdered, guys, she was she was sodomized uh, and she was sexually abused and she was uh, choked and she had major fractures in her skull, according to um, pathology reports. So, I mean, it was pretty, pretty gruesome. It was pretty bad, which is why this case only had its five minutes. And then you have the Menendez brothers first trial come into play a few months after. And that kind of like took all the attention away from anything else that was going on. Now that we um, had gone into this case with Panah, this is a little story that I collected from a friend of mine. Yes. And how it relates to this story so well is the fact that she moves into the Avalon Apartments, which was the scene of Parker's murder. So, or what we think was the scene of her murder, because they're trying to figure out if she was murdered in that apartment complex or she was taken somewhere, murdered, and then moved into the apartment complex Um, because this is another thing too according to my notes shahoon was seen within that 10 hour mark bringing a suitcase in and out of the apartment the same suitcase that her body was found in that's another tidbit too to take into into this matter so i've known angela my friend since 2010 and um she's never ever 
told me anything in regards to ghost stories or having an interest in the paranormal until she found a picture of me and Bryce uh, promoting our podcast on Facebook Mm -hmm. and another picture of me investigating with Patty Negri. So she reaches out to me at a mutual friend's party and she grabs me. She's like, I need to tell you something that happened to me in my apartment in 2017. And I asked her beforehand if I could record it. And she said, no, I just want to tell you. So she tells me this story and I am completely shook. I remembered when she moved into this apartment and how she moved out a year later, which was questionable because she really loved this apartment. But I'm going to let her tell you guys her story of what happened and how much of a coincidence it is to this case. And we brought in other experts to put in their two cents of what she may have gone through. So here is Angela's story at the Avalon Apartments. Okay, so in the fall of 2016, I moved into this big apartment complex in Woodland Hills. It's on Ventura Boulevard. Um, It's the Avalon Apartments, um, but it used to be called something else, like in the 90s. Um, and I guess the beginning of my story is like the first week or so that I moved in, I had this neighbor who, he was a little strange. He was friendly, but he was a little weird. And he just told me that a lot of weird things happened there, that there's a lot of crime, that there was mailbox theft and that some bad things had happened there with children that had gone missing and that a little girl had been killed in the building in the 90s, oh. and he gave me her name, too. Um, Do you remember her name? I think... I don't know if it was Nicole Parker or something Parker. Okay. I don't remember the name. Um, but it just really spooked me out, and I was kind of upset that he even told me this because I had just moved in the building. Right. And... I was, you know, I was happy I was moving to a new place. And then he told me this scary story. And it, he told me that it happened in our building. And it was in one of the courtyard apartments that this little girl was killed. And when he gave me her name, I Googled it and I researched it. And it happened in the late 90s. And I was relieved to read. And the neighbor also mentioned to me that the guy was on death row. But I was relieved to read that they caught the guy, but they had done like a search for her all over the neighborhood, um, all over Woodland Hills. Like I read in the article that people searched for weeks and then it turned out that it was a neighbor, like, <gasps> either from one of the apartments right across from hers. I don't know if it was next to or across the courtyard from hers uh-huh. that had kidnapped the little girl and killed her in his apartment. So, when I read about it and knowing that something so horrible happened in the building that I lived in, even though, I mean, I was like a few floors up, I was on the third floor, but it's weird. I don't know if it was like, because I knew about it, but from that point on, there were times where I felt really spooked living there because my apartment faced, it was on an upper floor on the third floor, but it faced that courtyard where it happened. So I could look down like when I would walk to my front door and I could look down and see the courtyard Mm -hmm. and I knew it was one of those apartments. I didn't know exactly which one. 
So from that point on, I never even wanted to walk through that courtyard. Like when I would take the stairs, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to take the stairs to the courtyard and then take the other stairs. Because it just were. felt it just felt eerie. You just didn't feel comfortable. There was just yeah. a bad vibe to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then while I was living there, at times they were these loft style apartments, and mm -hmm. I never lived in a loft style apartment before, so I thought it would be cool to try. But the entrance always had a weird energy to me. Like there were times where I felt like there was something there, like. I just had a weird, there was like a weird feeling. Like I'd be in my living room and I could see the entrance and the staircase that leads upstairs to the bedroom area. And sometimes I would just have like an eerie feeling. Like there was something there. In the staircase. Yeah. And in the entrance to the apartment. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it was really spooky. And I would just like light candles or sage to like hopefully make it go away sometimes. Right. You just knew um, that it, something was there and, and did you feel like it was negative or it was just a different feeling like like depressed or angry or, or something else? Like something watching. Oh, I see. So it felt like you're being watched, that you're being observed more than anything. Yes, and then also the neighbor who told me about it, he lived across, his apartment was directly across from mine. Uh-huh. So there were like all these apartments that faced each other. You could walk around the whole floor and all the apartments would face each other. And his was across from mine. And mm -hmm. it was weird. Like, I don't think it was the same day that he told me that story, but maybe a week later he asked me if I wanted to switch apartments with him. And I Whoa. thought that was a very weird thing to ask. That is a very unusual yeah, thing and I to said, ask. And I said no. And I'm like, I wonder if it's because he lives right above the apartment where this happened. And like maybe if he's, he's getting some out. sort of yeah, if he's getting yeah. some sort of uh, phenomenon that is unexplainable. Yeah, and I oh thought my it was gosh, such, such a weird thing to ask because it's like I just signed the lease. Like I'm not gonna switch apartments. Just, yeah, that shouldn't like, be asked of me. That should go straight. Weird, yeah. You should so go talk I to said, the landlord. I said, no, I'm fine. You know, I, I like where I am. And, you know, I was just like, you know. But I would notice, like, when I would go out at night, I'd be getting ready. And I would be about to leave. And then before I opened my front door, I, I would notice that he would have his front door wide open a lot. And it's what? like, who leaves their door wide open if you don't have a screen door to prevent, like, bugs or anything from flying in? His door would be wide open, and he would be pacing around his apartment. So it, it creeped me out, and it made me not want to leave because I didn't want to walk out of my apartment while I was, like, about to step out and see and him see me leaving. Mm -hmm. Because I, may, I didn't know if he would, like, see me and, like, strike up a conversation or tell me more spooky stories. So I would, like either sneak out or wait till he shut the door and finished pacing around so I could leave. Like I started avoiding him because another thing that was off about him is that he told me that he lived there for 20 years. So he lived there since it happened or yeah. shortly after it happened. I don't remember if he, if he told me he lived there when it happened or shortly after. But I thought that was weird, too. And it's like, wow, you've been in that apartment for 20 years, and you, now you're asking me to switch apartments? 
that was that was strange. So there was that weird feeling in the entrance, and also like within the first couple of weeks that I lived there, I noticed that there were nights where it was eerily quiet, and there were nights where all the neighbors' dogs were barking at each other at the same time, for no reason. Like the dogs would just be barking. Like after it would get dark, they would start barking. And I would think, I wonder if they hear something in the hills, because there's a big hillside behind the building. Maybe they hear coyotes or something running around. But it was very spooky. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was funny. Oh, my God, all these dogs are barking at each other. But then other nights, it would be dead quiet. And on the nights that it was dead quiet, I would hear coyotes howling, but I wouldn't hear the dogs barking at one another. Like some nights, they were just freaking out and barking at each other. Like I said, in the beginning, I didn't think that much of all this stuff. It was just over time that I started to feel like there's something off about this place. Something's like there's a weird energy. I would I want to say like four months into living, all you were feeling or just several months into living there, all you were feeling were just these unusual shift in environment in terms of energy. You're feeling like you're being watched and you're um, feeling uneasy Yes. And just creeped out. And you never felt this way in any other place you lived in, right? No. Okay. And then we, I guess, fast forward to a few months later, something happens, right? Yeah. So I had returned from a weekend trip Mm -hmm. visiting family. And, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. Before I went on this trip, I was looking for things to pack like some medication and some things that I always take with me before I go on vacation Mm -hmm. and stuff. I couldn't find things like things were not in the drawers where I left them in. Oh, and yeah. And like, I'm like, where I know I left it in this particular drawer and they were just missing. So I ended up not bringing those met like those medications with me. And I remember I shut down my computer. I made sure like the power was turned off and I shut down my laptop before I went away. When I came back, my laptop was open and on. And I remember I had I had closed it shut. But when I returned from my trip, it was open and it was on. And it looked like somebody had been there. In your apartment, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Were other like, were other things out of place, or does it look like someone yeah. made themselves at home, possibly? There were some papers shuffled around where oh. I wrote down, like, some stories and some notes, and I don't even remember. Yeah, it was notes, like, work-related stuff, and I had, like, some old poetry that I had written down, some ideas that I had jot- jotted down. That was shuffled around, and... One of them I never found again. And then like the medication that I was looking for before my trip Mm -hmm. was back in its original place. Was there anything missing from that medicine? No, it was, it was just back in its original place. And I'm like, and it, it was, it was very, very odd. And I thought that somebody had broken in. I actually had a police officer come to my apartment. He's like, there's no evidence of a break in here. And I'm like, but there's things moved around. Like, things were moved around my apartment, but they never found evidence of a break-in. But nothing was missing. Uh-huh. Um, the door was locked. Like, I unlocked the door the same way I always did. And everything else 
looked normal. When I went to the police station to make the report, mm-hmm. I felt like something was following me in my car. Like I was being followed. That was the first time. That was in January 2017. So that was like, yeah, that was in January the first time. And then we fast forward to the summer and that and was like literally it happened. Month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only remember parts of being at this family friend's house. I remember vaguely eating some barbecue. I remember swimming in the pool. I guess the the next thing I remember is coming out of the shower and like I was going to sleep over there and I was just laying in bed and somebody was sending me messages on Messenger mm-hmm. and I just remember typing numbers and my friend asking me if I was okay and I just kept typing numbers like different numbers that would come to my head and then YouTube started playing all these songs it was like it started playing a mix oh and like gosh. by itself and I, and then I just remember looking at the time and the time kept changing and then my father called me mm-hmm. and I just remember him asking me what time it was and I told him the time and he, and like he wasn't understanding me and he he said that later on he told me that I wasn't making any sense you know and i remember i i went to my refrigerator and i was on the phone with my father and i was like slicing an apple mhm and i was i just he kept asking me the time and he said that i what i said wasn't making sense but i don't the thing is i don't i don't remember much else other than going down to my fridge and slicing an apple like to have as a snack mhm and the next thing i knew a family friend was knocking on my apartment to check on me. And then my family friend took me to the hospital because they they said that I wasn't acting like myself. So they took, they took me to the hospital and at the hospital I felt like I was I was hearing all these voices, all different voices, some from people I knew in the past, some from people I don't like, but I was just hearing all these voices and getting all this weird energy. and it felt like something else was coming in my body like it wasn't me and i was trying to fight it out of me and then the next thing i know like i'm in a hospital and i slept for 3 days i was in a hospital bed and i slept for 3 days oh wow was, my body was just exhausted i slept for 3 days days later when my father told me that he sent this family friend to check on me because i was talking like a child like in a little girl's voice oh my god and that i was saying i don't have a friend you know i have nobody to talk to i have nobody to turn to i don't have any friends i don't have a real friend like like in a kid's voice and i swear i do not remember saying any of those things it's like it wasn't me he said you you didn't sound like yourself and i was very worried it's been said and this is just through hypothesis and also other theories that I mean, you can black out and lose a lot of energy, your mental stability, your physical stability when a very strong entity is in your presence and it absorbs that. It can knock you out literally. There've been people who fainted yeah. and because, you know, they've been in a presence of something very greater than them. And yeah. and that I feel like it could have happened to you is is what, you know, would have may have been the case for you. not saying that it was but it could possibly be 
It was, it, I felt like, yeah, like it was knocking me out. Like something and, I mean, was knocking me out. And like. And I don't mean to get personal and, and, tr- and you just stop me if I'm asking too many personal questions, but do you have uh, a history of uh, mental or physical health disabilities? No. Um, nothing, huh? No. And you. Nothing like you, this ever happened to me before. Ever. Okay. And you are not. I remember when, before you told me this story too, and this is for our listeners, like before this happened, you weren't a believer in the spiritual and spirituality in the spiritual world. You never had anything like this happen to you until you moved into this apartment. Right. Right. When I type in Avalon apartments, I'm getting a lot of man shot in front of apartment Avalon apartment. And then more of these cases. Yeah. That sounds about right. That sounds that's pretty much what I found when I when I did the research too. Yeah, the name exactly. Parker, no, you, the guy, yeah, you got it right. Saying, and other strange, unsolved. Yeah, there's that yeah happened on the property. Whether just there's twelve buildings, twelve to fifteen buildings. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that on the other end of a property, a little boy was beaten with a bat, and they never, yeah. they never found the killer. So I think there's something else there. It could be. It felt like something was after me. And something was trying to get, like, possess me. Actually, I think something did possess me because of those blackouts that I had. Mm-hmm. I mean... It was I'm... really scary. And I think, you know, when I was brought to the hospital, they thought I was just having an episode. Like, that mm-hmm. I was crazy. That is something that you've never experienced before, but why now? You know, and no one could give you an explanation as to why that happened, right? Yeah, no. They thought, you know, they put me on a 72-hour hold. They thought that I was, you know, going crazy and that I, that I needed a mental health professional. Like, once I woke up after the three days that I needed psychiatric help and the nurses, they... Um, they recommended a psychiatrist and a therapist to work with. That's what, you know, my insurance provided. And I followed up with all of that. And they asked me if I had a history of mental illness. I told them, no, I never experienced anything like this. And I even talked to them about what I felt happened to me. And the psychiatrist was mostly dismissive. He said, most of the time, none of this ever happened you know, to people, it's just that they're having an episode, you know, sometimes stress in people's life can cause these things. And he, he mostly shrugged it off. My therapist was more open. And mm-hmm. basically, she said, Well, what about have you thought about talking to a priest? Sometimes that helps some people. And maybe the next apartment you move into, maybe you'll want to have it blessed. So she was making suggestions like that. But I don't know if she really believed what I was telling her happened to me happened to me either. But she wasn't dismissive about it, at least. She thought, like, maybe my relationship problems were making me believe these things because I was having relationship problems at the time. I, I really think there was something paranormal there because I wasn't me. And I never experienced anything like that before. And after the first time it happened... I thought, oh, maybe I'm just paranoid because that neighbor told me these creepy stories and I'm just scared. Mm -hmm. But then when it happened the second time, it just confirmed in my mind, like, there's something weird here. 
there's something strange here. There's a weird energy. There's something paranormal. I'd read on Yelp in the hidden reviews, somebody wrote, this place is haunted. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, other people have experienced weird things here. Yeah. It doesn't. I'm not losing my mind. Mm -hmm. That was validation. Yeah. I don't have a mental illness. You know, there's Mm -hmm. ghosts here. There's something demonic. There's, there's something wrong here. There's some, something spiritual and, you know, maybe evil. And I could vouch for you. I could vouch for you in, in that sense, because I mean, I've known you for years. I mean, we have a mutual friend and you've always been a very average, independent person. Like you've always maintained a job, your own living. I mean, you live by yourself in Los Angeles, you're working girl. I mean, that says a lot, like you're pretty balanced and you're stable. I kind of get emotional. You telling me that, you know, you have these professionals that are keeping you on hold and that's scary in itself. And everything just started happening right after you moved into this complex that has a lot of dark history. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something there that I think like it knows that you're very, and I know this too, like you're a very strong individual and maybe they took advantage of that. Whatever is there, at least it was validated you know, in that one hidden remark, I'm trying, I'm on Yelp trying to find it too. But even in these, even in these remarks, and these reviews of the Avalon, it is all negative, like no one has had a really good experience here. It's not a safe area. It doesn't seem like it's maintained and taken care of. It seems like it just it's slowly being neglected is the sense I'm getting. The thing is, it looks really beautiful on the outside. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Gorgeous views, like, it's a great location, right near the freeway. Uh Uh-huh. But there was something spooky about when I'd exit that place and go down that hill on Ventura Boulevard. Yeah. To get on the freeway. There was a creepy feeling about it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, looking at these reports, there's reports of theft, there's gunshots, there's people being killed on the curb or right around the corner. It just doesn't seem like probably the best place to live around that area. And And the thing is, after I moved out, because I waited for my lease to end, Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't have a lease break fee or, you know, any problems with the management there. Um, Mm -hmm. All of that stopped. I never had any so-called episodes again. Yes, you moved out. I felt out. safe. Yeah, I felt safe in the next place I was in. I didn't feel any weird energies or anything. It just stopped. It just stopped. And that says a lot, too, about that location and not you. It made me realize, well, first of all, it made me truly believe in the paranormal. You know, mm-hmm. this stuff is real. There are ghosts. There are demonic forces. There are you know, negative energies and spirits in certain places. And also it made me wonder how many people are misdiagnosed as mentally ill when they're not. Maybe they're experiencing something paranormal that's making them black out, making them have episodes, but it's related to something haunting where they live. It's true. No, we've we've mentioned this before because we've talked about mental illness and even in some sense like the paranormal or when people say they're hearing voices Mm -hmm. that could also that could be a a possible relation absolutely 
because you, I mean, you don't know. Spirits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's I mean, a thought. yeah, it is a thought. It is. I mean, it's a very good thought to kind of bring up, especially in this, in the paranormal community, because a lot of times in a lot of cases, you know, they're sent to facilities to be uh, observed, you know, and that's something that kind of, that did happen to you. Oh, absolutely. You I know? just slept for three days. My body was exhausted. My mind was slept. I feel like you had like what is called like a major paranormal hangover. I've had that in, in, in one investigation where I, I mean, to be honest, like I went into a room that was supposedly very active and it was pretty active and I left and I just felt so lightheaded that I, 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 I almost fainted. And I just try to play it off like, oh, it's just, I'm just trying to tie my shoe. And I was like, crap, like that. I just felt like I had the wind just knocked out of me. Like my equilibrium was just completely thrown off. So maybe for you being there and uh, being like kind of like this energy source to whatever was there uh, really drained you, you know, it really drained you. Yeah. That, you know, I don't think you're crazy. None of us that are listening to this or will listen to this will think that because I'm sure they possibly went through something similar, if not close to it, you know. Can we go into like your, the course of your move? So you're moving out of the apartment. Did anything happen in your apartment during that move? Did it, did you feel like a sense of resistance or everything was just like, nope, it was just fine. You just left and that was it. It was fine. I just left and that was it. I didn't feel any resistance. Okay, that's good. And just no, I guess, no interaction with the neighbor. The neighbor never ever mentioned anything unusual that would happen around that area with your apartment or or whatnot. Again, I'm going back to the first few weeks right Mm -hmm. after I moved in. He did mention that there was a lot of, you know, a lot of bad things have happened here. People break into the mailboxes. You know, he mentioned the little girl that was killed. And yeah. he said and he said something to me like, you're a nice girl. I would hate to see something happen to you. I see. And I just thought he was referring to crime in general. But That's what I, I was going to ask. Now I think he meant something else. That's what I was kind of leaning towards. Like, was there like a hidden message underneath that like I think so yeah I kind of thought he was that. a little weird I thought he was a little weird like he was friendly but I thought he was also kind of creepy mm-hmm. not creepy like a creeper trying to hit on me just the way he talked right it reminded me like I don't know it reminded me like the old man in the horror movies that's warning the little the kids about being somewhere. Right. I don't know if it was Friday the 13th or one of the movies where the kids are going to the campground and there's like a creepy old man that's trying to warn them. Yes, actually, it was the first one. Yeah. It kind (laughs) of reminds me of that, like the remarks he was making to me and the way he was saying them kind of like, like there was like a hidden message there. Like he was trying to warn me somehow. Like, you're so nice. I'd hate to see something happen to you. You're such a nice girl. I'm like, it was just spooky the way he was saying it. Right. And at first I'm like, okay, you're just worried that's, you know, somebody might try to break into my mail or like steal, you know, or break into my car. But I never saw anything like that. I never saw like petty crimes or like, I always like, I heard, I read people reported on Yelp, but 
I didn't see that happen to any of my neighbors. I didn't see any cars get broken into like nobody, nobody in my building reported anything like that. Like it seemed pretty safe in that aspect while I was living there. Mm-hmm. It was just that creepy feeling that I would get yeah. near the entrance, the stairwell. It's like, it felt like there was something there watching. It could be tied to the energy of that place. It could be tied to the energy of the hills. There's so many hypotheses that are linked to what you're feeling. It could be maybe the the restless energies of, of people who died around there. Because there's, I mean, I'm still looking at reports and there's a lot of crime. Yeah, I mean, for some place that advertises as this beautiful, tranquil living community, it was completely the opposite and um I'm sorry that this happened to you and I'm really but then I'm really happy and I think I say this for for, on behalf of our listeners you know and thankful that you're sharing this because you're definitely not alone but now you have more of an understanding and more belief in I guess the other side right yeah and if I'm ever near that area Oh. I, I try to avoid driving past because I it I have it creeps me out. I, I try bet. to avoid driving past it. Yeah, I bet it's like a prickly feeling. You're like, oh, that sends me shivers. Of course. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember when you moved out, and I remember that. I, I mean, I remember that time frame, and I was like, oh, that was pretty fast. Like, I wonder what happened. Like, maybe she didn't like her apartment, and now I know why. No, it's you know? a really nice place. Yeah. No, I'm looking at the pictures. The grounds are beautiful. The yeah. The are awesome. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just, it, you know, and there would be weeks at a time where things would feel fine there. Yeah. But certain nights, there was a very creepy energy there. Right. You know, the way the gates would open when I'd come home at night, if I was out. Mm-hmm. It just, it felt like something was there watching. Like there was a strange... I describe like weird forces or energies it, it spooks me just just thinking back and putting myself back in that place from when I live there because mm-hmm. like it starts coming back to me a little bit at a time like things I would experience while I was there mm-hmm. I blocked a lot of it out of my mind since then of course and I even I even told my parents um I'm like I what happened I know what happened to me isn't normal Mm-hmm. I felt like something was following me. Something was after me. You know, I even confided in them about it. I said, it's not normal, you know. Yeah. And, and what even, did they... even, even my mom was like, you know, you're not bipolar. You know, you're not going to take this medicine that they gave you in the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm not because I don't need this medication. Mm-hmm. I just needed rest. I just needed to sleep for days. And that's what I did. And then I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was fine for weeks at a time. It was just certain times of the year that this energy was there. Because months would go by and it would be and it would be okay. But because it happened to me twice while I was living there, I knew that at the end of my lease, I mm-hmm. had to get out of there. Because what if it happened a third and a fourth time? And I blacked out for even longer. So I didn't want to take that chance. I couldn't I couldn't stay there. It was so negative. Do you think that whatever was there was trying to make communication? I don't know. I think Mm -hmm. there was more than one thing there. There was more than one. Yeah, because 
I don't think, I don't understand why the child would try to harm me. I'm wondering if anyone else has moved into that same apartment and is experiencing, you know, what you went through. That's something I would, I would love to look into eventually. Yeah. <laughs> when, we, when myself and a, I, I'm going to grab a historian, Maria Wessenauer, who we've interviewed, but um, we're going to look further, not only into the apartment complex, but also what could have possibly resided over it. And of course the area um, and see well, what we could I'll dig tell up. You, I'll tell you this. I have a friend who's, who lives in LA, who's basically grew up here. Okay. And when I told her that I lived there for a year mm-hmm. and I didn't tell her too many details, like how I've told you about what happened to me there. But right. I told her that, I think I thought there was something paranormal there because I know she believes in that stuff too. And she's like, Oh girl, if you had told me that you were thinking about moving there, I would have, I would have stopped you. I would have told really? you to not move there. Yes. Wow. She's like, she's like that stretch. She told me that part of Woodland Hills is known to be haunted. I'm like, what do you mean? It's no, she's like, she's like, I've lived here all my life. It's just, it's, it's known. There was, she said something about, how those hills behind the building, there was like an ancient Indian burial ground there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that sounds like something out of a movie. Like It does. It, it, Yeah, it is like something out of a movie. And that's what she told me. She's like, yep, Woodland Hills and parts of Encino, definitely haunted. I would have I told you don't move there if I knew that you were looking at places there. And this was after I had moved out and everything. You're like, thanks for the warning. <laughs> After the I fact. mean, she's, I didn't know her that well. She was right. an acquaintance before I moved there. So it wasn't like I was going to tell her, oh, I'm thinking of moving here, you know, but she's, she said, she's like, if, if I knew you were going to move there, I would have stopped you. I would have tried to stop you. Right. But um, have you ever experienced anything else afterwards and not connected to the apartment, but do you feel like this possibly may have opened you up a little more to the, to maybe certain surroundings that are not seen with the naked eye? No, honestly, ever since I got out of that place, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I haven't experienced <laughs> anything like that because it, it was really, it was a really scary thing to go through. Yeah, it sounds like a very scary yeah. thing to go through. I'm glad that you went out, you left when you did, could have gotten worse. You could have possibly ended up like your neighbor going crazy, you know? Oh my knows? God, you know, I think, yeah, I wondered, I'm like, wow, if all these bad things happen here that he's telling me about, why has he been here for 20 for years? For so why long. He, yeah. He, and, and it makes me wonder, I'm like, is he intentionally staying or is like, is the energy there preventing him from leaving? Or maybe he's stuck on his, maybe he's like grandfathered into like that lease. He's locked in a lease that he was paying in 94. So now he's probably just paying like still a fraction of that. So that's possible. Yeah, because yeah. I have, I mean, I moved into apartment complexes with neighbors that, I mean, they've been living there since the 80s, and they would tell me, oh, I'm only paying, you know, $900 when, you know, when I moved here, it was like 450 I was like, what? How long ago was that? 1987. And he's, and he's probably still there. Yeah, most likely. I mean, if he probably moved in in the early 90s, then, you know, maybe he's still paying, you know what what it costs to to be living there in the 90s i mean i'm sure the rent i don't know if it's rent controlled around there I'm sure it is not anymore yeah Maybe it sure. was when he moved in but i know it's not anymore oh dear well i'm glad that 
that is now in the past and and in some ways made you more aware there are things out there that we can't explain that are beyond our control and not even like physics can explain either so but thank you so much Angela for sharing your story with us for sitting down and kind of almost reliving it I know that it's not easy but um, for a lot of our listeners I'm sure that they can relate and yeah we appreciate that thank you thank you and let's do a post on her story uh bryce what do you think well it's just so crazy a like the roller coaster of emotions is just like it's really hard to listen to not that anyone ever has to prove anything to me or to anybody right but just like listening to the fear and like the sorrow and the pain that's still so clearly evident in her voice as she tells this story is really hard to listen to it's just so sad of like I don't know. I think we had kind of briefly touched on this, but it's just like there's like two paths when it comes to the paranormal and it's you either like get involved and like investigate further or you try and block it out because it's too painful. And it's just like really hard to like hear her experience and then to like hear that she's clearly trying to like move past this and mm-hmm. I wish her the best on that journey to like getting to a state of like calm and serenity and all of that like it's just so hard to hear like the fear that's still so evident it's that fear it's that genuine fear that when you hear a story like this you have no other way but to believe it you know she experienced something there was something there that was otherworldly and unexplained that she experienced and the way she first told me this story you know she knew that it had to do with something paranormal right And then finally, guys, like this is like a few months later that I recorded the story because she didn't want me to record the story at first. She wanted time and I allotted that. And then I reached out to her again. I was like, I really want to do the story. I feel like you need to really say your story. It would really help with the process because I'm sure other people in our community experience something like this. Yeah. And she agreed to it. And even throughout the her storytelling, like she had to stop and backtrack a lot. A lot of this was pieced together because when you go through something traumatic like this or traumatic in every sense of the word, you put it in a box and you lock it in the back of your brain and you try so hard to suppress it and try so hard to hide it that it comes back when you, when it's trick, when you're triggered by something, it comes back to you in certain point. So for her, like she was trying a little hard to remember a lot of the things that happened in the sequence that did happen because, I mean, this was an entire year. And these were two major instances that she went through. The blackouts, the things going missing, um, being administered to a hospital and being under watch. It's really heartbreaking to have professionals tell you, we think you're crazy. I mean, I even got a little emotional when she was telling me the story because... She knew she went through something and it wasn't something that was mentally triggering to her mind or her body. It was just something that was unexplainable happening. And how can you explain that to healthcare professionals? You know, how can you explain and, that to anyone? And that's the thing that's so crazy too is that, like, once she left, not that she needs like some kind of validation from us, but just like mm-hmm. once she left and all of these things ceased, A, like, thank God nothing like followed her and that she could just like start to move on with her life, but also mm-hmm. B, 
like what I hope would be like validation for her is just like oh it was this location it wasn't like me making things up no I don't know it's just so scary and like I think that the neighbor too it's so like the neighbor is creepy yeah for her to be like I don't think he was like being creepy in a way that he was like hitting on me like as a woman in Los Angeles like Mm -hmm. in any city as a woman anywhere it's like oh goddamn like that you even have to delineate that is a travesty like we have to be better than that but of course we're not yet and so for her to like make that distinction was so like jarring to me like oh shit like he's just being like creepy and then I also was wondering like because obviously he was trying to tell her something Mm-hmm. But, like, whether he felt like he couldn't or wasn't able to or that was the only way he knew how to. Well, like, just, I don't know. Like, it's so strange. He was like, oh, there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of crime. And, like, wouldn't drop it. And then she even said, like, I think he was trying to tell me something else. Like, oh, my God, that's so creepy. That's what I was thinking, too, after the story. And I was even researching the Yelp reviews on the Avalon. Yeah, I remember there, you said that in the story. There is a statement from several people that have heard and have witnessed and experienced something paranormal in those complexes, in that complex. There's a a statement from this guy that was like, well, aside from the ghost stories, you know, the apartment itself is pretty, it's not up to par, it's not up to date. And if you go on the Avalon Apartments in Woodland Hills, it's a beautiful apartment. It's a beautiful setting. It looks upscale. But it's like everything in this town, it's all smoking mirrors. Like, it's not in a really good area. There is a lot of crime around there, even back in 2017. I mean, I was even looking at the crimes around that area. There's shootings. There's, uh, there were a couple of murders. Uh, there were a couple of missing children. Fortunately, out of the three, two were found. Um, those were cases that were recent. Um, there's also a lot of drug circulation, a lot of drugs being sold around certain corners and areas around Woodland Hills. And um, bringing up the paranormal, it's close to the Topanga Canyons. So there's a lot of history and a lot of lore attached yeah. to those canyons. I was even talking to Maria Wessenauer. She's like, girl, Woodland Hills is haunted. It is 100% haunted. And you could hear in Valerie's voice, too, like, when she inquired with her friend what she went through, the friend's like, oh, I wish you would have told me. Like, I would have told you that whole entire area has weird vibes. Yeah. And I think that is the thing of, like, sometimes I think we're so afraid to come across as, like, paranoid or crazy or whatever. It's like we don't, like, warn people or we feel like we shouldn't warn people. It's like, well, what if they think I'm crazy or what if, the, you know, it's not true? And it's like, yeah, that's definitely possible, but... I think at the same time, like, if you know in your gut that something is, like, off, mm-hmm. you should, you could always, I don't know, I think your friends would be receptive to that. I brought this up to Zachariah the Witch's attention. I wanted to get his feedback on it. And mm-hmm. this is, I know, and this is what he sent me. I definitely believe in ambient energy and its ability to obstruct or obscure our perception of current reality. It's a lot of, it's a lot of text, but trauma and violence creates an overlap or an imprint. It's very likely to still be there along with the many emotions experienced by the people from the inception of the trauma. If your friend is sensitive, they could and can be more susceptible to whatever happened and still happens in that location. Also, spirits will attempt to contact by various means and sometimes it's through hypnotic states, which can feel like possession. And that's what channeling is. And it's so true. That's what I was trying to come up with in my head during 
my interview with her. I was like, right. oh, with the name that you, I don't think it was possession. I feel like you were in contact or in communication with something and you were blacking out. And a lot of paranormal cases, especially with mines in Virginia, uh, mines that are currently being worked on that have been rumored to be haunted. There have been cases where men have a thing called time stop. Men or women have a thing called time stop where they black out. They kind of uh, go into a different state for many hours and then all of a sudden someone or something snaps them out of it and they realize, oh my God, four or five hours went by and I don't remember a lick of it. Oh my God. So that's so creepy. So that's already creepy enough. So that is from a paranormal standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, uh, according to a friend of mine who does study um, psychology, she said it could be possible that she had a temporary psychosis uh, do you know what medication she was on? I said she was over, you know, it was just over the counter medication that she was trying to find in her first story, but she has never had any history of mental illness in her family, no schizophrenia, no depression or anything, but she was going through a pretty unstable relationship with her, her then boyfriend. And she was, you know, at times feeling a little down, but other than that, like, that's all that she could come up with. Right. Um, and as we know, like if you're mentally unprepared, mm-hmm. that opening doesn't have to be like you don't have to actively be like trying to summon something in. It can latch on to any negative feeling. So, yes, I think what happened there stayed there. And like we mentioned in other episodes, there's layers and layers to this city and there's layers and layers everywhere outside of Hollywood. And in this matter, I feel like there is so much trauma and violence that happened there. And if you heard in that interview, too, like when I was going through the Avalon reviews, um, a lot of people were complaining that the place is not well kept. It's not well maintained. People are angry. They're, you know, very negative. So I feel like the place has been neglected, period. And when you don't bring in a lot of light and love into an area like that, of course, Lord knows what can run wild around there or what can be attracted to something so negative. You know, that's also my two cents. All in all, what do you what do you think she went through, in your opinion, before we close? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think she went through, and do you think that it's in that it's parallel to the Nicole Parker case? I mean, I think the only thing that I can say with certainty is that there is certainly a lot of chaotic negative energy that she, for whatever reason, was incredibly susceptible to. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to say without like experiencing things personally, and like it's so weird because even like times that we've been out and about, we experience things completely differently and you have like a completely different background than I have. So we bring our own baggage to it. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard to say objectively without like experience Um, based on what she was talking about. Who knows? I mean, I think at the very least she went through some paralog, like paranormal trauma Mm -hmm. of like, being susceptible to the, at the very least, chaotic energy that's bubbling up there, whether that's from just the murder or the canyon itself or the chaos that since ensued or who even knows, like the crazy neighbor, like that's the kind of energy that's being poured out. Mm -hmm. So who knows? It's hard to say. Obviously, like it's so sad again to just like hear like that her first or biggest paranormal experience was so like damaging is yeah really really sad that's true for some people who have 
had paranormal experiences or some have had, you know, interesting ones, not so great ones, very negative yep. ones and positive ones. But in her case, right. yeah. you want everyone to have the like their mother talks to them from beyond the grave and it's like a moment of closure and it's like beautiful. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not like the reality for many people. Exactly. I think that she went through something spiritually. I think something was trying to communicate with her there. And I felt that whatever she was going through made her vulnerable to anything that was around. You know, she was paranoid after what the neighbor said. Um, What she has is validation. She's had people witness this weird state she was in. And then the whole conversation with her father, the father even validated that at one point she sounded like a little child. That's so creepy. So was she channeling the spirit of young Nicole Parker? She lonely. Is she still there? Is there some part of her there? Because something did traumatic happen to her there that could call her back or keep her there. Is it possible that Adnan Shahoon's spirit is around there? Because it turns out, too, that Shahoon was killed, shot to death a few years after that murder occurred. He died at the age of 44, I believe. So is it possible that he's there watching whomever is living around the courtyard? Because that was another thing, too, that she felt like she was being watched or was yeah. it just a case of paranoia? You know, oh. that's that's another thing too. Living by yourself, being scared by the neighbor, is it a case of paranoia? And but like I, your own energy, yeah. Your own energy, but I feel that she definitely is sensitive to something there, and it was trying to make communication, and it used her to channel. I think what she was going through was definitely a channeling, because after she leaves, it stops. It just completely comes to an end and that's it and i will vouch for angela i've known her since 2010 she's always been a very stable very uh balanced uh, woman and and like i said in her interview look she is living in la by herself yes but she has a very good career she's been able to live in the city by herself to afford Yeah. To afford, uh, yeah, guys, listen, to afford an apartment in L.A., I'm going to tell you how much the the apartments are here. If you want to move here, which I get asked this a lot, how much are the apartments there? $1,695 for a one-bedroom apartment, and some of them don't even include a parking space. Yeah, I read so, some, if you want to live on your own in Los Angeles, you need to be making at least $34 an hour. You have to. So she does good. She does good. And I've known, I've known her. She's moved. She's lived in different areas. She's moved to different places. She really loved this apartment. And when she moved out, it was like, oh, that was, that was interesting. And I remember that too. I remembered when she told me she moved um, into a different place and I was like, oh, that was fast. And I thought you really liked this place. And she never told me why. Right. You know, so now I see why now I understand. Well, and like mad kudos to her, like, I would probably, well, let's not get carried away, but I would probably <laughs> say something for rent control that was haunted. Yeah. <laughs> but like kudos to her for like taking her destiny into her hands and like getting herself into like a safe situation and exactly. even at the cost of like a place that she loved mm-hmm. to like put herself first, like mad respect to that. And like, it's so easy 
especially for people who don't believe or don't really know what they do believe to just be like, I'm crazy. And especially when like doctors are telling you you're crazy, just like, I'll stick it out. I'll stick it out. Like God knows what would have happened had she continued to stay in that situation. Thank God. Right. That she like prioritized herself enough to get out. And like, you know, again, I, I actually don't know this woman, but it's just like, you have a fan cheering from the Valley. Yes, you do. And we all know that if Bryce was in this situation, he wouldn't have lasted a year there, guys. Girl, no. No <laughs> fucking way. Unless right? whatever was there bought him a pizza to calm down. Maybe. Like, Maybe. straight up, though. If Ghost appeared in my bed and was like, I'm going to haunt you for a year, but your student loans will be paid off at the end of that year. I'd be like, okay, we're good. You, you may stay. <laughs> you may poltergeist me. I'm fine. You uh, may but that's not the only me. situation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we are open to hear anyone else's constructive criticism. Please keep it positive, guys. We mentioned yeah. this before. <laughs> like, like we are. You can say whatever you want. We already know that. <laughs> Can't be meaner to me than I am. So, like, come You're on. You're warned. Now. You're warned. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but um, we have a couple little thank yous though before we sign off, guys. We want to say, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's reached out to us recently. I know it's so sweet. Like it, it's so hard to not ugly cry in front of my husband and dog. <laughs> it's like uh, I, it, it's, it's just a sense of warmth and community. And I just want to say thank you, especially for the podcast community. A big thank you to Jessica from the podcast, the New Utah podcast she reached out to me and i mean we exchanged some emails and she's really sweet and definitely guys go and give them a listen give them a like they're a really good group of of utahians (laughs) so please do and then we want to say thank you um to you guys who've been signing up for patreon and so sweet and increasing your pledge i i mean i don't want to cry right now but thank you so much (laughs) it's such a unsteady time mm. and yeah i'm just a little emotional where's my chicken nuggets <laughs> <laughs> before the episode my, my husband grabbed me chicken strips because that's what i wanted for mother's day if you're not drinking <laughs> your tears with a chicken strip you are not podcasting <laughs> exactly so yeah thank you guys so much that's thank so you sweet. to jonathan thank murphy you. he increased his pledge we love you, Juanathan Murphy. Uh, thank you to Keisha. Raquel, thank you so much for your donation. To Tiffany Toller, she increased her pledge from three to five. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To Aubrey Nestor, to Shannon T, thank you guys so much. Like, you guys don't have to, but it really does help us out. It really, truly does. It really, it, I mean, when I tell people what it goes towards, it goes towards our our little merches that we send to our Patreon members. Yeah. It goes to our hosting site, the site to host our website, all these little things that make this podcast train moving to make all our highly weirdos even more weird. We really, truly do appreciate it. I didn't mean to cry like a little baby, but... Oh, I girl, just... please. I'm on like a daily schedule. <laughs> Are you still crying in your car on your way to work? Yep. Every day. <laughs> no, I'm glad that everyone's sending Bryce air hugs though. <laughs> yeah, God. But thank you. We really do appreciate yeah, we do. it. We really so, do. It really gets our asses out of bed on a Sunday because you know we wake up really early in the afternoon and. Uh, <laughs> speak for yourself. And... My dog is awake at 5 a.m. every day, ready to go, booping me in the face. <laughs> 
the worst. He's a full-on sleep terrorist. <laughs> Finnegan. Oh, Is he friends with the cats outside? Like, what's going on with that? Um, he is in love with our cat. The number of times I have to pull him off of humping him oh. is quite high. But yes, other than that. Oh, little Finn. Well, guys, thank you so much for participating on today's episode. And there's more to come, of course. There'll be more episodes. Thank you guys for also supporting us and donating to our Patreon. It's it means so the world to us. Oh, it's so sweet. Bryce, do you have anything else you want to say? Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> Music at the top of the act is by After Hours, the Kobe Tribute. Music playing right now is by Mr. Chase, Wild Cherry. A very special thank you to Angela for sharing her story. And of course, another huge thank you to our Patreons. Without your support, we wouldn't have this podcast. And it's because of your donations that this episode was made possible. You guys produced it. And thank you. Speaking of Patreon, if you want to become a Hollywood producer and help produce Hollywood Paranormal, you can. Just for as little as $1 or more per month, you can help produce our podcast. Head on over to www.patreon.com for more information. We also like to recognize our new Patreons, Aubrey Nestor and Keisha Rashal. Thank you so much for your donations. We are so happy that you're Holly Weird. To find out more information about Hollyweird Paranormal and about your hosts, then head on over to www.hollyweirdparanormal.com to learn more. Also get caught up on past and current episodes and seasons through our website and take a trip and browse through our merch store. Check out the new retro threads and graphic designs by our friend Noisy Project. If you love Hollyweird Paranormal, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us an awesome review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot and it helps us become a little more visible. Can't get enough of Hollyweird Paranormal? Then stalk us on Instagram and Facebook at Hollyweird Paranormal and Twitter at HWP Podcast. Have a story that you're dying to share, no pun intended? Then email us at hollyweirdparanormal at gmail.com. Want to hear more Hollywood Paranormal? Well, you can. You can catch up on our past and current episodes and seasons on Blueberry.net, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, Player FM, and Spotify. We're everywhere. Till next time, friends. Always remember to stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself, and most of all, stay Hollyweird. We'll leave you with the rest of Wild Cherry by Mr. Chase.